In the wrestling world, the people are represented by two separate but unequally important groups. The wrestlers and bookers, who literally do all the hard work, and the fans, who endlessly nitpick and overanalyze everything they do. These are their stories. Welcome to Raw and Order, the wrestling booking unit, the only wrestling podcast on the planet that waited a full 24 hours to do a full gear review. I am your host, Detective Mark Sparks, and I am joined by my partner in crime fighting, District Attorney Vincent K. Fabe. What's going on, man? How are you? I, I, sorry. I might be doing a little counting during this, trying to figure out hanging chads and stuff. <laughs> oh, there are plenty of other people doing the counting for you. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, it's been a crazy week here in the USA. Oh, Not quite so crazy up north where our partner up there, JLB, is. It's actually a very sad day up north as um, a fellow legendary Canadian has passed away today. R.I.P. Trebek. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, but aside from that, uh, you know, you guys got a new president, and uh, we get to at least know that when Trudeau talks to a president, he's not talking to a baby lala. And right now, I can guarantee that we have at least one listener out there screaming, he's not president yet, the votes aren't all counted. Excuse me, president-elect. Or does that not even count? Yeah, there's, there, there's a lot of people still in denial about it. Um, well, denial, I get that denial is not just a river in Egypt, but this river is flooded, and it is for sure. So I don't know what to tell you. Just, uh, you know, it's... You know, it, it, it's, here's what it comes down to. Uh, uh, they always talk about the stages of grief, and denial is usually one of the first ones people go through. Um, and it's going to take some time for, for people to come to terms with it. They're going to uh, try to look for every reason to overturn the election. And um, so far, there has not been anything credible shown. Um, so it's, I mean, it's other likely. Than, other than people could just run around saying, not my president for four years if they wanted to. Well, if they don't like it, they can just get out. Lame. But... <laughs> But so, uh, but that's the deal is, I mean, it, they're, they're going to claim for a while and everything. It's the sadder thing is the way he handled it. And we're not a political podcast, so we're not going to talk about it too much. But it's like, I look back at uh, presidents over the years, and there have been a lot of them that I didn't like and didn't agree with. Um, and there and there have been the ones that I really did like, and when the ones I did like lost elections, they conceded. And when the ones I didn't like lost elections, they conceded. And it's it's been a tradition. It's not required by law, but it's been a tradition in the United States for the loser to concede the election and and allow us to move on cleanly. And he has given no. Uh, no concession and no um, indication that he will concede it anytime soon, and that makes things tough. How um, do you go from this is not a political podcast to talk about political stuff for another five minutes? Uh, it was three minutes, thank you very much, and I was about to say, but that's enough on that. Let's get to the wrestling. Yeah, because yes. there was a pay-per-view. Imagine that. Yes, 
We haven't had a pay per view oh, in two whole weeks. Oh my and god! And there won't be another one for another two weeks. Two, two whole weeks. <laughs> yeah. Too many damn pay per views. And here's the deal: it's like AEW is only doing it four pay per views a year, big four pay per views. Um, and yet somehow or another, especially this last two months, it just felt like a pay per view every fucking weekend. But it so was this, so bad that we had to use f bombs to describe it. Yes, starting off hot with the f bomb right off the bat. We are now PG thirteen until we drop another one and then we're R. Is that is that how those ratings go? Uh, yeah. PG PG thirteen yeah. is allowed one f bomb. They don't have to use it, but they're allowed one. Ah. <laughs> now, so now, what's funny is uh, shit and bitch and damn. And, those are all fine. Uh, you can even drop the C word, which is a word I almost never, ever, ever use. Um, but that's actually fine in PG-13. You can say as many of those as you want. Really? F-bomb, you get one. Wow. Which is also makes for a really fun game when you're watching a movie that's ranked, rated, you know, PG-13, is uh, to try to decide if you were to add an F-bomb to it, where would you put it? Because like I said, a lot of PG-13 movies don't use it at all. But just knowing that they could, just sitting there and watching and going, this is rated PG-13, where would I put the F-bomb? Anyway, right there, right there, there right it was. There. That's there where was. I would put it. That Fuck is where bomb. I would put it. Right there, <laughs> right there is where I would put it. That would be my f bomb. Um, but so this was full gear. AEW's last pay per view of the year. Yep. We we will find out during the event that yes, it is indeed their last pay per view of the year. But uh. <sighs> I wish wrestling companies wouldn't keep us in suspense as to when their next pay-per-view is all the time. And I know there are so many plates in the air. Sometimes they don't necessarily know. But come on, man. AEW, you've got four of them. You you can figure it out in advance. Let us know. Um, But so full gear. This was uh, a long pay-per-view, to be perfectly honest. Um, And uh, very full. There was not a lot of downtime in this pay-per-view. Uh, probably my biggest complaint to start off, though, is the buy-in, the kickoff show that AEW does, um, which, just a small gripe to start off, buy-in only makes sense at the pay-per-views that are casino-themed. It makes no sense at a pay-per-view called Full Gear. Come up with a new name or roll on. Um, anyways, Jeez, but... You're so today, though. Oh, holy. It's, it just bugs me. I'm like, it's all great for... reviews. Don't call it a buy-in. Hot diggity damn. Someone woke up on the wrong side of the bed skis. Uh, well, no. I've been sick this week, so I've been sleeping in a recliner. So. Coronavirus? Uh, what? No, not COVID-19, just a sinus infection. Um, but Viral sinus infection of the virus of corona? No, it is not. I, and, and I can say that with certainty because... Well, uh, I myself did not get tested. My wife did get tested. We have had the exact same symptoms. Uh, and hers came back negative, so we knew there wasn't a reason for testing me right now. Um, but uh, but it's... That's not even necessarily true. Uh, it is not 100% true, but it's, it's close enough to true because, like I say, our symptoms didn't match up with COVID. 
from the first place, but we decided to test her just in case, um, and it came back negative. So because our symptoms were identical, the likelihood that we had identical symptoms that were not COVID symptoms, but mine somehow or another was COVID, uh, was pretty small. So, um, but like I say, it's mostly sinus pressure, which get anyone who's ever had sinus infections knows that laying flat is really hard with sinus pressure. Uh, that's when your whole head goes. Um, so I sleep on a recliner so that my sinus doesn't clog up and I can actually breathe at night. Can so I slept- illustrate the noise again. That's the noise. So to get back to it, I woke up, woke up on the wrong side of the recliner today. Uh. Um, no, I just like I say it. It's just something that has always bugged me. I'm fine with them using it, calling it the buy-in on the all-in pay-per-view, but the other pay-per-views that you do are not casino-themed, so it makes no sense to call it a buy-in anymore, unless you go all in with the the concept of buy-in and turn it into something where people legitimately have to wager to get onto it which i think would be a cool concept for them to do like like listen i i want i want to be on aew so much so i'm gonna throw all of my money at you to to buy in a spot on the the kickoff show to show you what i'm worth i think that could be a cool idea but that's beside the point We'll get out. My biggest complaint about the buy-in was it was an hour long, and the first forty minutes of it was just talking head promos. Which, FYI, if you watch their YouTube channel uh, at six o'clock, it's the exact same thing. But the thing is, all all of those things, most of them appeared on Road Two, All Out, or Full Gear, Road Two Full Gear. Uh, some of them appeared on. Um, being the elite things like that so so it wasn't like new information it was just like promo promo and it, it and it wasn't a, a panel and i'm not a fan of the wwe panels but at least that's people sitting there talking about what's coming up and and giving analysis and and predictions and whatnot but this was just promo after promo after promo talking head i'm darby allen i'm gonna kick cody's ass i'm john moxley and i'm gonna kick out and i'm like we know this man either put another match on it or or put a panel together or shorten it you know it doesn't need to be an hour long buy-in um especially since you're giving away for free on youtube do it for half an hour whatever yeah anywho when they finally got to a match on the buy-in it was a match for a championship that's not even aew yes the nwa women's championship was on the line on the buy-in for AEW Full Gear. So I'm going to repeat again, the National Wrestling Alliance Women's World Championship was defended on All Elite Wrestling's Full Gear's buy-in show. Yeah, way to diminish a championship. Now, we did later in the night have the AEW Women's Championship on the actual show. See, um, so that's maybe, that, I mean, that still adds more value to the AEW. No, but it, it adds value to see the other one. Yeah, it, in a way, I get what you're saying, except for uh, they built up this NWA World's Championship match over two weeks, and the uh, AEW Women's Championship just got thrown at us last week. Like, oh, by the way, they're going to have this. 
uh, there's literally like no storyline build for the AEW championship. And that's my complaint, one of my complaints, but we'll get to it at that point. On the buy-in, NWA World's Women's Championship, Serena Deeb, who I will point out is an AEW contracted wrestler, uh, but also the NWA World Champion, versus Allison Kay, who is, as of right now, not signed to either promotion. Uh, but until recently was an NWA signed talent and uh, about a week ago announced that she had ended her contract with NWA. So you had a non-NWA signed wrestler as the champion defending against a non-NWA signed wrestler as the challenger on a non-NWA pay-per-view. My head hurts. uh, (laughs) Yeah, nailed it. God, that's that's. And, oh, SI also had Don Callis on commentating too, which I was like, "What?" So then it got me thinking: Are they going to do something with Impact as well? And and uh, we'll talk a little bit afterwards about Tony Khan on the post uh, pay per view media scrum did kind of talk about how uh, AEW likes to be a little bit more open with. Uh, other promotions so it could mean that they are pursuing some sort of crossovers with impact um at the very least uh some talent swap at some point oh um, wow which, which could be could be really interesting if just from a standpoint of if it's if it's a swinging door you know what i mean where uh impact signed wrestler can say hey i'm gonna go over and work a few dates for aew and then come back to impact and everything be fine that would be really cool to be able to see like jordan grace come over and challenge for the aew championship a couple times and then head back over to impact or or vice versa but i know that that everything in that is going to be very tightly negotiated because uh aew is not going to want jordan grace winning the championship and then fucking off back to to uh impact and now we are hard r um <laughs> Damn it. Suck, 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 yep, suck. We can suck, say it all we want now. Uh, now we just went X in C17. Well, as long as we're not video. <laughs> which, which is good because it's like 80 degrees in my house, so I am. Um, sweaty, hairy, gross man. Sweaty, right gross fat man, and um, probably wearing less clothes than most people would want to see me in. You look like loser from the Academy right now. Or maybe more clothes than they want to see me in. <laughs> no, nope, you you had it right the first time. I probably had it right the first time. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, you know. I mean, if 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 someone wants me to set up an OnlyFans, all I gotta do is ask. And offer an exorbitant amount of money. I'm hearing crickets, so I'm assuming that's enough. So we will get to the match, though. Serena Deeb, who uh, until relatively recently was a WWE signed talent um, and then was let go in the mass letting goes back in May. We've talked about that um, and has signed with AEW and is now the NWA World's Champion, defended against Allison Kay. And um, I, I'm not super familiar with Allison Kay. I know she's wrestled a few times on AEW. I know she's wrestled in a bunch of other promotions that I should have seen, um, but I'm not super familiar with her. Uh, this match, I'm going to say, was not not the best match of the night. Uh, nope. 
yeah, well, definitely not the best. Might possibly be like the worst, but that's not saying that it was. This wasn't great. I don't know. Forgettable. Yeah, I mean, uh, probably the biggest news to come out of it was after the match went was over. Um, like here, I I said this kind of talking about it before. This wasn't 2000 era WWF women's wrestling bad. Um, it, it actually, it wasn't even a bad match. If, if this had been on WWF Raw, um, not for a championship, we would have been like, yeah, it's an okay match. Uh, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't great. Uh, but in the end, Allison K tapped out to the Serenity Lock, uh, which is, a, kind of a weird, um, chicken wing crossface sort of thing, I think. Anyways. Uh, and so Serena Deeb is still the NWA World's Women's Champion, but then afterwards, Thunder Rosa came out and jaw-jacked with Serena Deeb and obviously wants her title back, which is, I don't know, fitting. She was the champion until recently, and she is technically still under NWA contract, so that makes sense there. Yep. But it just still seems really weird for... All Elite Wrestling to be building a storyline for NWA on their pay-per-view. Sometimes plays well with others is an important piece of, you know, how, how, how yeah, stuff. Stuff and things. There. That's where I'm at. But, Got it. Nailed like that segment. It, it was not a, uh, not a bad match in the end. It just wasn't a great match. Um, and considering that until this week they were advertising that the buy-in match was going to be Orange Cassidy versus uh, John Silver, and then they decided to move that to the main card, I and we'll get to it when we talk about that match. But I almost wonder if that wasn't a bad choice, if only yeah. because this buy-in, if if there is a reason for a kickoff show like this, it's to try to catch attentions and get those last-minute pay-per-view buys, right? And I don't think this was good enough to get people to be like, oh, I better buy this pay-per-view now. No, for sure. Definitely not. Uh, whereas, and we'll get to it during the talking about the John Silver Orange Cassidy match, that one might have been good enough. It at least had more character to it. So, um, but uh, then we come to the actual show. The actual show kicks off, and we have the first match, the AEW World Title Eliminator Tournament Final. That is a mouthful to say. Uh, but Kenny Omega versus Hangman Adam Page, uh, former tag team champion partners, now facing off against each other for the shot to be the number one contender for the world title. Beat Mox. To go against, well, whoever well, beat Mox. So sorry. This, in my opinion, I'm calling it match of the night. And I know that at least one of my cohorts on here will argue that a different match was. But this was my match. Wow. Okay. I thought it was a decent match. Uh, what made it so spectacular for you? For me, so much of this was about storytelling. And I'm not saying the other match that we will get to shortly uh, didn't have good storytelling in it. It did. Mm. But this one... and. I might be, you could call me an Omega Mark, so that might play into it as well. Yeah, for an Omega Mark. Yep, yeah, Omega Mark. Omega Marks Marks. Maybe that's my new Yep. Detective Omega Marks Marks. Um, getting really long. Uh, I just, <laughs> Kenny Omega tells, tells a great storyline 
in a lot of his matches, especially the bigger ones. That's why that's why he's he's uh, uh, one of the best, one of the best, right? And um, the storyline often is based around can he hit the one winged angel? The most protective finisher in all of professional wrestling, if I'm correct, because so far when Omega has hit the one winged angel, no one has ever kicked out in any promotion. And so that tells a great storyline of him trying to get set up for it because it's it's part of why the one winged angel is so brilliant in my mind is that it's built up as this absolutely devastating move, but it takes a lot to set it up because you have to stagger your opponent so much that, that you can then get them up on your shoulders and then shift their weight around so you can reach up and grab their head and do the one-winged angel. And so you can tell the storyline of being close to it, but then they kick out from your shoulders, or close to it, but then your knee gives out. And that's the storyline they told here, is early on in it, he did his um, kind of patented uh, fireman's carry roll slam into jumping up onto the turnbuckle backflip, uh, right? And, And when he tried to flip up from the fireman's carry, one of his knees buckled. And at first, I thought it might have been legit. And it might have been legit. But the way the storyline played out, they told the story that his knee wasn't able to support him when he would try to pick up for the One-Winged Angel. Right. Uh, And that storyline there brought it to me, right? This also was just a war between the two of them. They, They both were hitting hard, every step of the way they um both tried to hit their own finishers hangman page tried to hit the one-winged angel at one point um <coughs> massive pop-up power bombs they hit uh tiger driver 98s and and uh page even hit the dead eye on uh omega and the dead eye is one of his signature moves it's not really his finisher because his finisher is really the buckshot larian um but omega was able to hit back-to-back v triggers and then the one winged angel to get the victory and so it had this whole storyline going through and even more than that after the victory omega got up and celebrated and and then left and page got up and left and there wasn't this like closure which means there's more to the storyline coming up uh with I would say it's either Hangman turning heel or Omega turning heel. I'd prefer Omega turning heel and then Hangman be the ultimate uh, hero character for a while. Um, but I just, I love this match. This is match of the night for me. I know JLB disagrees. Well, I mean, look, it was a really fun match. Don't get me wrong. And to start off a pay-per-view, it was a great match. It's just, it's not match of the night. <laughs> like maybe it's third best match of the night. Who third? That's that's really tough for me to. You know, I like you say I will get to the match that that I know you think is match of the night, and I can understand thinking that, but I can't I can't say and, a match that I would put above it overall. Fair. Well, we'll we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It allows the fans to just, what is this Canadian thinking? Well, what match is he talking about? You'll just have to wait and find out. Kind of like an episode of Who Shot JR. You just gotta wait until the ending, ladies and gentlemen. 
But um, there was a show called Who Shot Jr. No, but it was an episode about Who Shot Jr. I forgot what show it was. It was all know. a dream, anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> Wait, a spoiler, it Jeez, what can happened? you spoil something you know, from twenty plus years ago? Before. You probably can. I'm sure there's someone that's still gonna bitch about it. Well, if you want to bitch, it's at JLB420. Yep, that's me. Feel free to bitch all you want. No. And uh, I'll just retweet it and say what a clown you're bitching about. So, you know, it will be a great debate. So, in, in regards to this about match, Dallas? Yeah, yeah. there's a great <laughs> debate about Dallas. <laughs> Okay. Mediocre well, debate about wrestling. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. You'll just have to tune into my Twitter to find out how great our great debate is about Dallas. Another little cliffhanger for you. See? Dallas is uh, I'm glad I can give you the name of the show. It, yeah. yeah, you're welcome. I mean, uh, thank you. <laughs> but so, so suffice it to say that this, uh, me saying, in my opinion, it's match of the night. Definitely means if you haven't watched Full Gear yet and you're thinking about it, definitely watch this match. 100%. Um, the other match... I thought that you gave a really good rating to the Uso versus... Yeah. Um, Uso versus Roman match. And you're like, no, this one might have been a match of the night. Well, this one you're seeing is definitely a match of the night and people need to watch it and i think yeah. you just justified my point on the roman versus uso match um i think nobody needed to watch that i i think it like i said my my problem with it because i thought it, i still thought it was a good match and i still thought it wasn't as good as this one but i still thought it was a good match i still thought it shouldn't have been in hell in a cell it didn't need to be they didn't use it why why even do it uh so but i, I you know who did use the Hell in a Cell the right way? Mick Foley and Undertaker. Yes. <laughs> now, anchor.fm slash raw and order WBU. Sorry, go back to this match. <laughs> um, but so, and I, like I said, I know we'll get to the match in a little bit. The JLB will say is better. And uh, I'm not exactly arguing that it's not. To me, that this one of the things that's so great about wrestling is that we can have differing opinions on things and they don't necessarily cancel each other out. I This match, from a storytelling standpoint, told a better story for me. Um, it, it also, to me, and this might play into it, had better suspense because I legitimately was questioning who was going to win this match the entire time. And... In some of the matches later on in the night, I don't have that question going into it. If if there's one criticism you can uh, lay at AEW's feet right now is that sometimes their matches have predictable victors because um, we know where people's um, bread is buttered. We know which people are signed as executive vice presidents and, and whatnot. Um... But this one here, considering Hangman Adam Page was their original potential world champion and only just barely lost out on it by losing to Chris Jericho in the final for the original tournament, um, and Kenny Omega being the best bout machine, the, this one could have gone either way, and so I had sus I had suspense on it. There are matches later on in the night that went exactly the way that I thought they were going. Not exactly, because I didn't call out every 
play, but that the endings were the way that I thought they would be, if only because of who was in it and and what was going on with it. So, um, but we will move on. We'll get to the the matches that I'm talking about on that in a bit. Um, Orange Cassidy versus John Silver, number four, was the next match on the night. This was the one that I thought probably would have been better off on the kickoff show, not because it's a bad match. Mm -hmm. It was a good match. I think it would have gotten more people to turn on the show that weren't already watching AEW, right? This is the sort of thing that if someone stumbled across on, you know, TV or YouTube or something like that, could have drawn people in and said, hey, I want to watch the rest of that pay-per-view. Um, so, John Silver, if you only watch Dynamite, you don't know half of John Silver's storyline right now. Right. John Silver is a stud on being the elite. He is absolutely hilarious on being the elite. And if they allowed him to do half of the stuff that they allowed him to do on being the elite on TV, he would be top tier star right now in my opinion probably the biggest thing that holds john silver back is his size and i by size i mean height because he's not a tall man but in every other respect he is an absolute stud and this match to me delivered on most respect it allowed orange cassidy to be orange cassidy at the beginning and do his his you know lazy gimmick for a bit and then go on to do all that stuff but john silver was able to do things like at one point um he ripped the pockets out of orange cassidy's pants so the orange right. cassidy couldn't put his hands in his pockets anymore uh that's just brilliant um john yeah. silver threw him around all the time um I, I, like I said, I, John Silver has impressed the crap out of me over the time on being the elite, and I hope they give him a lot more screen time on Dynamite soon. Um, Orange Cassidy was able to hit his swinging DDT on a Michinoku driver. Um, Silver was able to come back and hit some stuff, but in the end, Orange Cassidy was able to win, uh, pinning John Silver. Uh, but this was a good match. This was a great match. Um, like I said, I, if this had been on the kickoff show, I think it could have brought more buys into the pay-per-view. So I hope they give these guys... I mean, we all know that I'm an Orange Cassidy fan, but Orange Cassidy versus John Silver was just awesome. It, yeah, no, it was a fun match. I really enjoyed this match for sure. Um, it added, you know, I mean, it just had, had a little bit of an, uh, everything. It had the entertainment factor. I'm... Dare I say, kind of getting bored of Orange Cassidy, though? I, uh, I think... You could dare to say that, but you're wrong. I I think, in a way, I can kind of agree from this standpoint. I think they need to allow Orange Cassidy a few matches back in his old style again. Um, more specifically, ever since his feud with Jericho, he's done 90% of his matches at full speed, right? And it would be nice to see him come out and do the sloth style a bit longer with some people again. Like, and and that's the weird thing, too, because at first I was also maybe getting a little bit bored of that. But maybe a mix between the two would be nice because he's not overly too fascinating to see him wrestle fully, Um, which I mean, whatever. He's not bad, but it's just like. I don't know. I'm 
I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you do it, but maybe a mixture between both. Like, because then him wrestling kind of just defeats the purpose. He's there to kind of provide that comedic entertainment, right? Yeah. I'm telling you, until you've seen Orange Cassidy do a Canadian Destroyer on someone, you haven't lived. So... <laughs> That's this is where in they slow need motion. in slow motion. This is where they need to um, take one of the the Dark Order minions um, that they're not booking really solid right now, and put them in a match where Orange Cassidy is allowed to be Orange Cassidy for a bit. And I think that would help out a lot because I, I think it's important that he keeps what made him special. Uh, when you don't allow him to do that anymore, he does just kind of become another wrestler. Right. And so it, it, it'd be really I think, cool if they had a minion take the super, the super, the sweet chin or shin musics, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and like actually go down to you know. But, like, oh my gosh! Did you see that super kick right to the shin? <laughs> but in the end, like I said, this was a great match. It I like that they're allowing. And I know they kind of got forced into this. Alex Reynolds got injured and is missing a little bit of time. And so John Silver doesn't have his normal tag partner. But uh, in this situation, this is where uh, I think John Silver is getting a chance to shine. Because I actually saw him as a singles wrestler earlier before he even signed up with AEW. Um and I was very impressed with his skills as a singles wrestler. And then I found out that he also wrestled as a tag team with Alex Reynolds. And then they signed him as a tag team. But it's nice to see them giving him a shot as a singles wrestler. So I'm happy there. Moving on, we've got the AEW TNT Championship. Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allen. Darby Allen getting another shot at the championship. And Darby this Allen is getting my... another Go ahead. It's not another shot. Wasn't it this is first shot? No, he's this is like his fourth match again. This is his first since Cody became TNT champion again. Yeah, so this is a, a this is the bigger part of this is that it's another Darby Allen Cody match. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean we've seen Darby and Cody. We really want to see it go a different direction than it's gone. Well then do I have good news for you. <laughs> new TV t- new TV champion? New TNT champion, Darby Allen. Um, and this match was fun. So this is the match that I am saying is my second match of the night. See, and and as fun as this match was, because uh, I'm not... This, this match, to me, gets edged out by both the other matches that we're going to be talking about. In fact, to me... Overall, this match, there were there were some eh, nigglies. This match might actually come in fourth on the night for me, but that could be me just being very niggly. Um, so, uh, but this was, this was, I mean, we've seen it before. Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allen. Uh, they always have hard matches. They always fight hard. And the storyline is always, uh, can Cody pick up this win versus this wild man? And in the end, like twice previously, Darby Allen was able to hit the coffin drop and Cody rolled it through into a pin and got the win. And then once there was a time limit draw. Yeah, and once there was a time limit draw. So Which um, was a gift when it happened. Golly, that was fantastic when that mm-hmm. happened. Well and and here's the deal is what we do have to remember is this is 
this is long-term storytelling. Yes, it is. Um, they knew that they had to build Darby Allen for modern audiences because no one knew who the hell he was going into right. All Elite Wrestling. He didn't, you know, he even talked about it in the promo on the buy-in about this that he watched the announcement of All Elite Wrestling on his phone when he was homeless in his car. You know, uh, he he hadn't been contacted by anyone about it. He just was like watching the announcement like every other fan was. And so he, uh, yes, there were people on the independent scene that knew who he was, but not modern mainstream fans. So before you can put a championship on someone like that, you've got to build them. And they knew... I, I feel like they knew that the best way to do it was to build him over the course of a year. And so they started off with that time limit draw to Cody almost a year ago. Which, it's interesting that, that we, you know, obviously we talk about Orange Cassidy at the same, or near the same time we talk about him in a similar sentence um, because of their relative unknownness to the mainstream wrestling fan. Um and you know, for 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 uh, uh, Orange Cassidy, immediately because of the the uh, what was it, the buy-in battle royal, the yeah casino battle royal, um... yeah, at, on the buy-in for the first pay-per-view mm-hmm. for AEWs. You know, that's when everybody went twenty-second. Man, who's this guy? And then he came out and was so wonderfully entertaining that everybody was like, yeah. I want to see more. Um, Darby needed a match like the Cody match, the first Cody match that they had to really be able to do that. And that happened relatively early too. <laughs> yeah. The, more build up for him to actually get the win. Yeah. So the first one was June 29th of 2019. So over a year ago, a year and a half now. Yep. And then uh, January 1st, he had their second match. And then, uh, April 29th, they had their third match, and then this one. And the April 29th one was for the TNT title. I know that one, from, if I'm remembering for a fact, but um, but anyways, this They're one also here. putting enough time in between them that, that it's not like this is just. Uh, one of the things that WWE is notoriously horrible about is they're going to feud here, and then they're not going to feud anymore. Right. Yeah for like six years and then suddenly we're supposed to be like oh remember this feud how how much these guys hated each other well, yeah six years ago they've they've won the tag titles together since then <laughs> you know <laughs> like what so go on um, also worth noting that on the way to the ring justin roberts actually referred to cody as cody rhodes i did a little bit more looking into the situation um and and I think I figured it out. He still has not won the trademark for it, but because WWE has abandoned the trademark for it, he can use it as he files for the trademark. Um, and I'm pretty sure he worked a deal out with WWE that's allowing him. Specifically because he was also trying to trademark Slamboree and The Match Beyond, uh, which were both Dusty Rhodes uh, ideas. And he dropped those trademarks allowing WWE to pick those up. So I think he came to an agreement with WWE. I, this isn't confirmed, but I think he came to an agreement where he's like, "You, I'll drop these trademarks, you drop the Cody Rhodes trademark, and, and then we'll be good, sort of a thing. So, but 
it's interesting because he has gone on the record saying he doesn't plan on wrestling under the name Cody Rhodes. Um, he more wants the trademark for other uses, like other TV shows and, and movies and so on and so forth, that in AEW, he actually likes to be referred to as the American Nightmare Cody. Um, so, interesting there. Well, but. Thank you for the little tidbits. Yep. Little tidbit. But, um, but so this match was, again, hard-hitting match, uh, all of this stuff. There was a time Cody Rhodes hit the uh, Avalanche Crossroads on Darby Allen, but yeah, when he went for the pin, early. that was quite early in the match too. Uh, but when he went for the pin, Darby Allen's arm was under the rope, not on it, but under it, right? And the ref stopped it. Which, to me, that's the proper way to handle this. I've talked about it before, but WWE is spotty on handling it this way. Uh, but back in the day, in WCW at least, it was always. Basically, like football, the breaking out of bounds plank. is out of bounds. Out of yeah. bounds is out of bounds. You don't have to be touching the rope. You just have to be across that plane, and that's <laughs> what this would. Guess that too. WWE is, is spotty on it. Sometimes they don't care if the the leg or the arm is under the the rope. They'll still count the pin. Um, so they often just enforce it that you have to have your your hand or or arm or body part on one of the ropes to prove it. But then sometimes spontaneously they'll enforce it like this. Um, I prefer it to be enforced like this all the time, where it's, you know, you're out of bounds, part of your body is out of bounds, so all of your body is out of bounds, effectively. Um, and, and I guess because uh, my folks were very confused by that as well. They were wondering, hey, but what? He, he didn't touch the rope? And I'm like, yeah, but it's under the rope, so it's out of bounds sort of. I'm like, oh, okay, that's weird. That's stupid. I'm like, oh, okay. So I always thought WWE did it that way, but yeah. you know. I think WWE most of the time doesn't really do it. I think it's technic. It's one of those technically rules that they only pull out when they want to, uh, because most of the time, and that's why your parents probably are more used to WWE's current. Um, you have to be touching the rope to break it. Right. Uh, but I mean, I remember times when someone was in. Uh, the Texas Cloverleaf or something like that, and they were able to crawl far enough that they could just put put their hands under the rope to break it instead of getting all the way to grab the rope. Um, so, but uh, in the end, Darby Allen was able to pin Cody Rhodes to win the match. Um, it was after a uh, coffin drop, but there was a kick out, and then they went back and forth for a bit and then Cody Rhodes was able to um, was not able to kick out of a Darby Allen pin after the match of course there was the tension that surprise of Darby winning though on how he won with just a regular pin I thought was amazing because I wasn't expecting because it was just a pin counter pin counter pin counter and then Darby ends up winning with a pin counter and then that just completely took me off guard i was like oh to the point where i was like did they make a mistake but then i just was like no that's just amazing booking you know what i mean like i really enjoyed that that caught me way off guard and i was just like yes well in a way it kind of speaks to how used to we are um now of the modern wrestling style which is hit a big move get the pin right uh and that's a relatively recent wrestling trope that for a long time, you know, the big moves were broken broken out only for big moments. That a lot of matches were ended with 
roll-ups, schoolboys, inside cradles. Mm. No, 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 this is not a new thing, though. This is at least next last 30 years. Well, that's why I say a, a relatively recent thing. In the grand scheme of wrestling, the last 30 years is real relatively recent. But even that, I'm talking even 90s WCW, it was still really common for a schoolboy roll-up or a, a inside cradle. Inside cradles were one of my favorite things because Sting would hit those all the time and win matches. Um, but but relatively recently, it and to be perfectly honest, I can blame the, the constant um, advancement of moves, right? Because 30 years ago, no one hardly ever hit power bombs, right? Now people get hit by a power bomb and kick out all the time. Right. So, so that's kind of you know, I mean, Jake the Snake's uh, finishing move was a DDT. Mm-hmm. That was a huge move at that time, and he didn't break that out in every match. That was a special move. And now, how many matches do you see in an average year that have multiple DDTs in them? They're all right. over them. So. So, but that's why I liked seeing this because it it did harken back to the older times when wrestling is more like its roots of amateur wrestling or Greco-Roman wrestling that it really is. It's not about necessarily hitting a big move to get a pin. Sometimes it's the littler moves that would get you the point, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, that was really refreshing to see it not end on the coffin drop or a crossroads, but on a series of pin attempts that managed to to be successful um afterwards sorry go ahead (laughs) afterwards cody uh looked like he was angry for a bit looked like maybe he was gonna turn on darby but eventually he grabbed the belt kneeled down and and presented the tnt title to darby allen um but that was not the end they we then started to hear someone talking over the loudspeaker and out comes taz talking a bunch of smack to both Darby Allen and Cody um but he was just a distraction <laughs> just a distraction uh on the other side Brian Cage and Ricky Starks come in first they take out Arn Anderson those dirty bastards <laughs> and then they start attacking both Cody and Darby Allen Eventually, they take Darby Allen. Uh, they beat him. They powerbomb him on the uh, apron, I believe, and uh, throw him through a um, full gear set piece at one point. And then they take him over. He arrived to the match in a car, a beat up Ford Taurus like car. I don't know if it was a Ford Taurus. I didn't get a good enough look at it, but that's kind of what it looked like. Not current style, like old style for Taurus um, that was painted up with with slogans of Darby Allen future TNT title and stuff like that and uh, they beat him up they slammed him on the hood and they were trying to put his arm in the door to slam the door shut uh, but before they could do that Will Hobbs showed up with a steel chair to make the last minute save uh, and they've been telling the story with Will Hobbs of Taz trying to recruit him to join them so Obviously, we're building up to a Will Hobbs versus Brian Cage storyline at some point. And I'm fine with that because Will Hobbs is a big dude. Uh, I, I will enjoy seeing him versus Brian Cage a few times. That should be good. Yeah, I can't wait till that happens. But but in the end, this is a great long-term booking storytelling 
uh, way to build Darby Allen. We've got this guy who who's red hot in terms of fan reaction to him, uh, built up as a star. Now he's a champion in your uh, league. And you also help get to throw a little bit of shade at all those people who say, oh, all of AEW stars are just WWE rejects. Well, not the TNT title anymore. <laughs> yep. But sure. it's still a great match. You know, I, I said before about the um, Hangman Page versus Kenny Omega match to say if you had to watch one match from the night, that was my choice. Um, but I'm going to say watch all of these matches. Even the bad ones are still good. This this was a, a heck of a pay-per-view. I'm going to have to probably go back and watch some of the previous um AEW pay-per-views this year. I know the last AEW pay-per-view uh, wasn't my favorite of the year. Uh, this one might be up there. Top top three of the year, definitely, out of their four. Yeah, no, this, this one was pretty good. Um, moving on, we had the AEW Women's Championship match. Hikaru Shida versus the native beast Nyla Rose. Um, and like I said earlier, this thing had basically no buildup to it whatsoever. It was just, oh, hey, by the way, we're going to have Hikaru versus Nyla Rose again. Um, I I was torn as to who I would was picking for this. Like, I'm a Hikaru fan, so I wanted her to win. But from a logistical standpoint, I was like, what do you do here? Hikaru has been basically absent on Dynamite recently. So you haven't been playing her off as a champion very well um and some of it's because your women's division has been depleted due to covid and injuries um but also because your women's division is the weaker of your divisions right now is this the time to put the belt back on nyla rose or or is this the time to give hikaru shida a huge win to to prove that her win over nyla earlier this year was was not just a fluke and i saw a lot of people predicting nyla to win right uh, i think brian zane predicted nyla to win um i'm trying to remember who else i can't remember if uh simon miller picked nyla to win or not anyways um in the end and still women's champion hikaru shida uh yep. this- and and a mad vicky guerrero yeah slaps nyla out of pure like anger and i'm like oh this is where vicky Guerrero is gonna get a bump but nope uh, that just takes it and leaves yeah i was a little surprised that there wasn't a vicky guerrero through a table at that point but <laughs> they didn't want to copy wwe with uh <laughs> with uh with lana with lana so you know they said nope we got to be different yeah you know i i think that helps build vicky though yeah, I mean it helps build her as a manager, as as somebody who's respected to be able to enhance her talent. Yeah, and yes. team beast, if you will. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she is respected and her role that you know she understands that she lost and so on. I do still though think that Nada's eventually just going to get sick of her and. Well, that's the story you tell there. Yeah. No matter what, but sometimes you can't jump to the punchline. Well, yeah. we just got done praising AEW for longer-term storytelling. This is a perfect example of something yeah. that's probably a longer-term storytelling. I was just a little surprised because... And maybe it's because I'm so used to WWE right now, and that's the way WWE would have told this storyline. 
would have been Nyla snapping and putting Vicky Guerrero through a table. And so uh, this was one of I, one of the worst matches of the night, but I hate saying it that way because it makes it sound like it was a bad match. And it wasn't bad. It just wasn't great, you know. Uh, uh, in the grand scheme of things, this was still better than... Well, it's better than every Lana match we've seen in the last two years. Um, that's a low bar to clear there, but I just want to throw that out there because apparently Lana's now the super baby face of WWE and everyone needs to love her. Anyways, um, so th- this was a good, hard-hitting match, but it just... I, N- Nyla and Hikaru Shida just don't really have the chemistry in my book together. And, and it's kind of a shame... Because some of the best storytelling you can tell is the the little person versus the beast sort of a thing. And Nyla's the beast in AEW's women's division. Um, but again, I'm a Hikaru Shida fan, so I was happy to see her get the win. Th- the win was very convincing, though. It wasn't because um, one of her previous victories versus Nyla Rose um, always felt a little bit weak. You know what I mean? Like she eked out a victory. This one was a convincing victory. Um, she hit uh, uh, those those standing knee strikes to the to the face of Nyla Rose. Uh, hit one and tried to get a cover, but no no good there. So hit a second one and was able to get the three count. Um, it did feature uh, a tease of a um, schmaz finish. A little bit before that, uh, Sheeta hit a Avalanche Falcon Arrow, tried to to pin Nyla Rose, and then pulled her up and smiled. And then she went to do her running knee strike thing that she does. And Vicky Guerrero tried to grab her leg, which distracted her. And I thought, oh, that's how they're going to give Nyla Rose the win. Right. But no. It didn't happen that way. Uh, Sheeta was able to still get the win out of it, so it's kind of a swerve for me. Like I said, not the best match of the night. Not It might have been the worst match of the night. I don't know. The other woman's match might have been worse in my book, but this was. But it still wasn't bad. I want to make sure to point out that even the worst match of this night was still not bad. I think you're right on the whole chemistry thing, though. I don't know. It's just they don't mesh well. Like, it's like they try when they went outside and did a few little things outside, too. It was like, okay, but like, I don't know. It's just something with the division. Uh, I don't know. Uh, as much as I love uh, Akira Oshida, like, she's just very bland. There's something missing. There's something there. There's no storylines. There's no build-up to anything. Like, this whole story build-up was stupid. And well, in a way, that might be the biggest part of this, is that uh, there was no build-up to this whatsoever. Like, literally, it was the last episode of Dynamite. Hikaru Shida was in an interview, and someone said, hey, we got news from Nyla Rose. She says that she demands a rematch with you and Hikaru Shida's like fine we'll have it at full gear and then that was it that was the entire build up um, yeah. and that's uh, that's probably one of the bigger things that plays into this and on the post show media scrum Tony Khan has admitted that uh, he understands that and he, he gets that and he probably should have featured Hikaru Shida more on TV but 
you know, I mean, some of it might come down to, like I said, that they are kind of light on active women's wrestlers right now. Because, like, Yuka Sakazaki can't wrestle in America right now because she's stuck in Japan. Shanna is stuck down in Brazil. Riho's stuck in uh, Japan. Um, Chris Statlander's injured. Emi Sakura's stuck in Japan. Um, Awesome Kong is injured and filming a TV show that now is not going to get a final episode. Um, Abaddon is injured. Abaddon just got signed and was expected to be a big star and got injured. You know, there's, there's a whole bunch of uh, weirdness going on in that. And so, but they've also recently signed, like, Tay Conti is going to uh, be a star in the long run. Um, I don't know if uh, um, Allison K is getting a shot at AEW or not. They haven't announced one way or another. Would But, I mean, like, Big Swole would have been nice to have seen wrestle on this. It would be nice to see her get a thing. Uh, Anna Jay from the Dark Order, be nice to see her get a little bit more. Uh, she's a great character on being the elite, and I, I know their worry is she's still really green in the ring, but her character on, the whole character that she has on being the elite is that the entire rest of the elite is afraid of her. Not, not elite, the rest of the Dark Order is afraid of her. That she just beats them up all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, between Ivelisse and um, Big Swole and Penelope Ford, and, you know, they've got some people that they could work in there. But with just a two hour show, I think they're finding I think they're finding out why WWE has a lot of three minute matches and AEW doesn't like three minute matches. And I, the reason that WWE has three minute matches is it makes it easier to fit more stars on the show, you know. Mm-hmm. You have a bunch of three-minute matches on a two-hour show. You can fit more matches. Uh, That's it. Yeah, 15-minute matches, then less matches on the show. (laughs) I I think that'll change once they get their second show up and running. And I know a lot of these people make appearances on AEW Dark, but we specifically don't kind of talk about it because from a storyline standpoint, those matches don't really matter. Like, AEW Dark is, is their testing ground, and they know that at least 50%, if not more, of their audience does not watch AEW Dark. So whenever they get their second show up and running, it'll be interesting to see if that focuses a little bit more on women on it, or at least opens up some spot to focus a little bit more on women here. Um, that being said, AEW Dark, I, I was going to mention this on uh, a WBU as a crime at one point, but I, I'll talk about it here, but I'm wondering if it's not turning into um, a liability for WWE or for AEW right now. And that's because it's come out that WWE has started targeting independent wrestlers that they have up here on AEW Dark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, AEW's been using Dark kind of as a tryout ground for some of their wrestlers. And they've signed quite a few. Uh, Anna Jay, I just mentioned, she was signed after appearing on Dark a couple times. Um, Ivelisse and Diamante got their tryouts on on Dark, uh, so on and so forth. But there have been a couple wrestlers um, recently, specifically one, Ben Carter, wrestled a couple times on Dark and is rumored to now have signed an AEW developmental deal. Not an AEW, a WWE developmental deal. And that WWE is specifically targeting wrestlers that appear on AEW Dark 
um, kind of using AEW Dark as their own scouting ground. And I kind of wonder if that's not going to uh, start to bite AEW in the butt here in the future and force them to stop using independent wrestlers on Dark as much um, and only use contract-signed wrestlers. Mm, okay. Because yeah. I, I would imagine... Um, I can only imagine how pissed you would be if you called up a, an independent wrestler that you thought was really good. You arranged for them to uh, do a match on AEW Dark uh, so that Tony Khan could see see them and and maybe sign them to a, to a match um, or to a contract on AEW. And then uh, it turns out that WWE saw them and signed them away from you and all of your hard work and, and your exposure for this wrestler has gone to make them one of your competitors. Um, that makes sense, though, to, to have that concern. Yeah, 100%. And here's the deal is, is this... This is not a crime against WWE. I'm going to say that right now. Because if you're WWE, of course you do this. This is 100% what you fucking do. You keep your eye out for talent. You look, and if you see someone who's really good, you sign them, you know? So I'm not bad-mouthing WWE for doing this. This is what you do. Um, But that's why I I just almost worry if they're not going to start looking at AW Dark in the long run as as a liability for them. (laughs) Or even yeah. in the short run. Ironically, Vince doesn't even do that with NXT. Like, oh, let me see who I'm going to at least pick up from NXT. I have all these superstars. <laughs> but, you also know, he doesn't. Verifiable truth. But <laughs> talent relations isn't really Vince's job. He doesn't go hunt down talent. He doesn't, all right, well, let's sit down and I'm going to watch all the weekly episodes from local territories. Mm. Yeah. He just doesn't do that. He lets other people do that. <laughs> Right. Let's go. Moving back to AEW, we will move on to JLB's match of the night. FTR versus the Young Bucks for the AEW Tag Team Championship. And if it's not your match of the night, you're psychotic. Um, what a match, man. And this was a long match. This one was, in fact, I, there was a point I started to wonder if, so, uh, to, to preface this, one of the, uh, stipulations of this match is a carbon copy Cody, uh, stipulation. The Young Bucks said if they don't win this match, they will never challenge for the, uh, AW Tag Championships again. Um, and so uh, there was a point during this that I wondered if they weren't going to use a time limit draw as a um get out of jail free card for it you know what i mean where well we didn't win but we didn't lose so we we can still challenge for it because it was a long match Um, a very long match and so this is when you mentioned your whole comment before about oh because i'm the vice president's whatever like i did not feel that at all one i didn't go into this thinking that the bucks were necessarily gonna win and during the matchup as well honestly it was back and forth non-stop and it still kept me guessing i'm like oh okay young bucks are gonna win now oh okay uh team oh, okay you know what i mean like i back and forth on this match and also throughout this entire match i just thought wwe man you messed up 
Like, thank you for letting them go so I can watch this glorious matchup. But wow, you had a gold mine here and you just messed it up completely. See, see, for me, I'm the opposite. This was the one where I I was 100% certain that uh, Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks, were not going to lose this match. But I wasn't sure that if they were going to win it. But and and here's the deal: it's it was that it was that gimmick tied to it that made gonna lose it. Um, the whole we'll never challenge for it again. And I know they were trying to play off Cody doing it and surprising us and and losing the match and and now being stuck never challenging for the world title. Which let's be honest, at some point in the future they will find a loophole reason for cody to be able to challenge we just know that's going to happen at some point um it's just when how they do it and i think they're going to try to stretch it out as long as they can cannot have one of your premier wrestlers 100 banned from ever competing for your premier title um well didn't we have didn't we have uh when the rumors of cody having a, a second project right now well, he does have a second project. Um, there's a TV show, but it's a game show, and I think he's filmed all the episodes of it right now. Um, he, during that time, he missed about two or three weeks after uh, the pay-per-view. I think he filmed it because it's, it's, it's one of those um, competition, like talent show sort of things. Um, the Go Big Show is what it's called. Oh, but, didn't even know. Yeah, it's... I, I, I'm pretty sure they filmed all the episodes of it for the first season. But it's like it's like America's Got Talent on steroids sort of a thing. Um, so it, the whole thing is go big or go home, you know. And so the people come in and they, and they put on these huge spectacle things. Um, usually fairly um, physical based, you know what I mean? So it's not just... Uh, word i'm looking for not not like singing talent sort of a thing okay still don't know what you mean but sure <laughs> so you mean like like uh american gladiators type thing or like uh well yes yes or it, it's it, it's more it's more like american america's got talent in the fact that you've got the judges sitting out on the watching and then the people come up on the stage and they do their talent right but instead of being like America's Got Talent where people sing or do magic, this is mostly based on physical uh, things, if I'm correct. I'm trying to bring up a, a description of it. Um, physical things, so like magic or like... No, it's it's like lifting weights or flipping... I, I can't... I'm trying to... They call it an extreme talent show. Oh, uh, okay. I'm just gonna open an article so I can read a thing about it. So, know when it's supposed to debut? Uh, early 2021, I believe. Right. Ah, okay. So, uh, judges are Snoop Dogg, Rosario Dawson, um, Jennifer Nettles from Sugarland, and Cody Rhodes. Um, and Brett Kirshner, stand-up comedian, is gonna be the host. They call it an extreme talent show. Um, it'll feature monster trucks, alligator trainers, stunt archery, over-the-top feats that often go beyond what you normally see on stuff like America's Got Talent. Uh, okay, okay. Challengers battle head-to-head -head before judges to try to win $100,000. I wonder why they got Cody Rose. Rose. I think he's a producer. I think he was one of the... Oh, uh, okay. Uh, one of the 
brains behind it, I think. Uh, okay. Then that makes complete sense. Because what a panel. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Snoopy Loop, Cody Rhodes. Never thought I'd say those two names in the same sentence. And and part of the reason I think it's it behind it is because it's based out of Mason, Georgia, um, which is where he lives. Right. So, uh, but yeah, it it's filmed in front of a drive-in audience because they decided to uh, COVID theme it for this. Makes sense. Uh, but yeah, so that's the project that he's doing was doing outside of this. Um, anyways, my my thing is as soon as the Young Bucks said. If we lose, we're never going to challenge again. I knew they couldn't lose because if if you have spent a year building them up as one of, if not the premier tag teams in the entire world, you're not going to rule them out of tag team title competition long term, right? You just, you just can't do that. You as as good as your tag team division is, it's not good enough to survive the Young Bucks not being in title hunt. And so as a, they tipped their hand with that gimmick attachment, I think. Um, so this is the one that I was 100% certain was going to be either a Young Bucks win or some sort of shenanigans finished where the Young Bucks could argue that we didn't lose, so we still get a chance sort of a thing. Um, I, I did expect the finish to be a little bit more schmozzy one way or another, which it was not schmozzy at all so i mean because you've you've got the heel uh ftr you know i fully expected some interference by uh tully or or even someone new to show up to kind of round out the four horsemen concept or things like that but it didn't have that um at all yeah to to uh, go to your talking about how long it was this match as a whole was 28 and a half minutes long actually almost 29 minutes long uh it was the longest match of the night um which the, is part of the reason that he's a big fan of it yep the uh he likes the long one the match that comes <laughs> after this was second longest the main event was third longest um but there was only one match in the entire main card night that was less than 14 minutes long and I think that's that's one of the things I'm going to point out. We've given WWE crap a bit recently about short pay-per-views, you know. Uh, and and by short, I mean getting done at 8.30 our time. Yeah. Uh, and this one here went until like 10.45 our time. Well, I noticed that. I mean, again, I, I have yet to watch it. And I think we've kind of established that by my lack of communication on this. But I noticed, I mean, you guys were hitting me up. And I'm like, how's this thing still going on? Yep. Well, I was specifically hitting you up on the next match. We will get to shortly. Um, <laughs> this one, one of my favorite parts in this match, because don't get me wrong. Like I said, I like the Omega Hangman Page match better overall. But that's not to say I didn't love this match. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my favorite parts is um, you had Matt Jackson in the ring, uh, Nick Jackson outside the ring with uh, uh, Dash Wheeler outside the ring, kind of laid out. Matt Jackson in the ring. He puts uh, Dex Harwood into the sharpshooter. Now, they built up through all of this. The news that had come out this week that um, Matt Jackson had an injured leg um, and has been wrestling with an injured leg for a while. 
they even built up to it on Dynamite where they went after his leg even more. And so so the entire storyline in this match was, is Matt Jackson's leg going to be able to hold up to all of the high-flying moves that he does? And they did play it off really well. Like, he would do moves, you know, a, a super kick and then lay on the ground holding his leg because it hurt him so much to kick with. But so he gets Harwood in a sharpshooter, and then outside, Nick Jackson puts Dash Wheeler in a sharpshooter on the entrance ramp. And so they're they're facing e- away from each other so that the people, Dak, FTR, are facing towards each other in sharpshooters uh, in pain. It was actually a really fun kind of visual. Yeah. And something that they can only do in their current stage setup. Um, because their current stage setup, the entrance ramp is flat to the ring rather than down on the ground and up the stairs, right? So, uh, but it was really kind of fun to watch that happen. Um, in the end, uh, it was a um, bunch of stuff happening in the ring. They were attacking Matt Jackson's leg. They had him laid out and... Uh, Dash Wheeler decided to go to the top rope and do a five, uh, 450 splash, which is is actually a great piece of storytelling because you've got FTR, whose slogan during their entire time in WWE, which they do not have access to uh, in AEW, was but no flips, just fists. That their whole thing is they're old school wrestlers. They're not going to do these new school jumps and flips. Uh, and so you had to break that rule to try a 450 splash and miss. Matt Jackson rolls out of the road, gets up, hits a super kick. One, two, three. New champions, the Young Bucks. I didn't. Uh, I didn't uh, take that into consideration that he missed. I just thought because he took forever to go up to the top, sort of ordeal, and that's just why that whole sort of you took too long. Because <laughs> they were mentioning that the FTR did a few mistakes in the match in terms of, oh, I shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that. But I guess if it's off that name, no, no, um, no flips, just fists. No, flips. and like I said, they can't. They haven't been using that in AEW because that's a WWE owned trademark. But that's always been their whole characters. That's why they were called the Revival in WWE. Is that they're all about the old school wrestling, the not doing this new spot monkey stuff all that and they played that off a lot in wwe that you know they would go against lucha brothers and that was the storyline is the new school flippy do versus old school beat em up submission move. um and so it was it was uh something they'll talk about i'm sure on dynamite this week they're like hey you know we went out of our comfort zone we decided to do a a flippy move and and it backfired on us um but so the young bucks are the new champions although they're still telling the storyline with matt jackson and the knee injury and reportedly it's legitimately a torn mcl and a a weakened acl so uh so we'll we'll see if he ends up having to fight and to be perfectly honest, I think that might be their their get out of the card on this. That they have them win the belts, but then have them have to forfeit the injury. And 
then put together a tag team tournament for the next winner. And of course, FTR will be like, well, it should go back to us because we were the last title holders and whatever. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see if that comes up on Dynamite this week. I will point out that on Twitter, though, afterwards, uh, the Young Bucks, I think it was Twitter, um, tweeted out pictures of them. Uh, they had uh, world championship hats and t-shirts printed up for them, just like Super Bowl winners do. And I thought that was <laughs> That is hilarious. Nice. That could make them a part of, uh, of uh, oh, Inner Circle. Circle? Um, well, considering we already have a match coming up uh, based on joining the Inner Circle, we know the Inner Circle just doesn't take everybody. <laughs> True. But moving on to the next match of the night. Um, a, a tough to follow that match, but I think AEW did the absolute right thing with choosing to follow the 29 minute long flipty do uh, tag team match with a cinematic match, the Elite Deletion match filmed at the Hardy Compound. Uh, it just absolute nuts is what this was. Yeah, um, good time. Just yeah, absolute nuts. And the only reason this doesn't make it into my top three matches of the night is because it really was hardly a match. Um, it was just insanity is what it was. Uh, it was technically a match because it did feature uh pins and and a three count for the win and two wrestling rings. And yeah, multiple wrestling rings and the Lake of Reincarnation, uh, and the Dome of Deletion. See, and I haven't seen this match, and I feel like I've seen this match. <laughs> well, it, it, there are some points of deja vu to previous deletion matches, but this was so fresh in some other ways. Um, and I say some callbacks to it. There was a point during it where. Uh, Sammy Guevara and Matt Hardy were shooting at each other with uh, fireworks, <laughs> Roman candles, and I think that happened in one of the Hardy Boys ones. Um, and yes, there was a time uh, in previous ones where they went to the Lake of Reincarnation, uh, but this one featured uh, appearances by some people that we weren't um, expecting to see. Now, I am gonna I'm gonna preface this by saying there were a lot of rumors going into uh, this pay-per-view about a certain former WCW and WWE superstar that is no longer under contract to WWE. Um, and more specifically, there were a lot of people predicting him to show up during the Darby Allen match. Um, that being Sting, if you didn't catch my hints. Oh, uh, I was thinking Ryback. No. There were a lot of a lot of people speculating Sting because Sting uh, had announced earlier this year that he uh, had pulled out of his contract with his Legends deal with WWE, uh, and WWE had to pull all of their merchandise, and so like he was supposed to appear in their um, Masters of the Universe WWE collection, and they had to pull that figure from it at the last minute, so because he wasn't, they weren't allowed to use him anymore. And this was going to be the first pay-per-view, I believe, after the whole contract was ended and everything. And a lot of people were expecting him to show up in the uh, Darby Allen match. I was skeptical um, about him showing up at all just because I don't know if he really fits in that match at all. But I thought 
to me, if there was one match to have him appear, even just as a one-off, it was the Elite Deletion match. We did not get Sting. We did, however, get... Get a couple hero, a hero. A hero and a villain in the form of Gangrel uh, having a hostage in the form of Hurricane Helms. (laughs) (laughs) Was he actually Hurricane? He was actually Hurricane Helms. Um, Apparently, Shane Helms owns the rights to Hurricane Helms. That's awesome. Um, He also owns the rights to be... um, uh, what what was his name? Uh, just uh, Shane Helms, the reporter Shane Helms, I think is what it... I can't remember what he called himself during that. Anyways, which he also appeared at one point to interview someone. Uh, and then get thrown into the Lake of Reincarnation. So, um, it also featured Santana and Ortiz showing up to help Sammy Guevara. And Private Party, we found out early on in the match... Uh, like right at the beginning, Matt Hardy said on on his um, thing, his walkie-talkie, when I call you, come rescue me. And you saw that the private party was waiting. So we knew that there was going to be a lot of shenanigans there. But in the end, Sammy Guevara chased uh, Matt Hardy into the Dome of Deletion, a.k.a. the Quonset Hut that has another ring in it. Um, and uh, the door shut so that the rest of the crew couldn't come in and help. And there was a ring in there. Uh, Guevara hit a swanton bomb off a ladder through a table on Hardy, but Hardy kicked out. Hardy hit a twist of fate on Guevara, followed it with a spear through some tables. Um, Guevara gets busted open here. He's bleeding. Um, And then they... uh, get the pinfall one two three and afterwards they open up the the gate and private party helps load Guevara into a garbage can and then load the garbage can into the back of a truck which senior benjamin drives away drives away so um i don't think this is the end of the Guevara story but i think it's the end of the Guevara versus matt hardy feud uh, and I think I think that's because I think we're going to see a different Sammy Guevara come out of it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Um, I feel like it's going to be a change of character uh, completely in that regard, just with the whole chair shot to the head kind of thing. It's going to be a demise of this character, and I feel like he's going to be almost I don't know uh, I don't know, but yeah, I, I felt like it was a deletion. Of a character, if you will, if uh, well, I'm going to it up. If, if you go back on the history of the Hardy deletion matches, they've almost always featured a change of character on the loser. Right? Oh, really? Okay. Uh, Jeff Hardy was a loser in one of them, and that's when he became Brother Nero on uh, Broken Matt Hardy's side. This was interesting, though, because it, it featured Matt Hardy... Not in full broken mode, but also not in not broken mode, if that makes any sense. Right. So, but this was this was a fun match. At the same point, I, I still have a hard time calling it a match because it was just absolute insanity. You know, it was just nuts. And yes, it's technically a match because it featured a pinfall and a one, two, three. But like, that's about the only thing this had to do with a match, right? Um, 
That's it. It was just a fun little entertainment thing. And honestly, it was a bit refreshing to do it. I feel like any match to go after the tag, this was the best spot. This was. I agree. Um, it was it was just nuts. But the other thing that I want to say about this is this is exactly what I think cinematic matches need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the best use of cinematic matches is to do something that you cannot do without. Like WWE has used the cinematic matches to do the falls count anywhere matches recently. That's not a use for cinematic matches because you could do those with a live crowd before you've done them before right right um this is the sort of thing that can only be filmed without a live crowd there because it has to take place at a different place and it's just so insane that it only works it can't only be filmed without a live crowd there just only works without a live crowd there well semantics yes true but that's my point though like you put a live crowd there this this no longer works as a match just in general in fact those swantons anytime you take a swanton at the compound or somebody delivers a swanton at the compound it's not exactly the i don't want to call it a gimmick ring but it's not exactly a a professional wrestling ring it's i don't know sometimes concrete which i will admit there was a little bit of hesitancy for me after the last match that these two had uh of you know are they going to be able to pull off a match like this? I almost wanted to just see them do a standard wrestling match for the final one, you know? Just stay in the ring, guys. <laughs> but but this was, like I said, this was just insanity. It was fun. Uh, wasn't wasn't a technical masterpiece, but you didn't expect it to be. You didn't want it to be. Um I mean, this is the sort of thing. I I couldn't ever imagine Chris Benoit versus Dean Malenko doing this sort of a match, right? What? Uh, it just wouldn't have worked for them. But also agreeing with JLB, this was the perfect place for it. Because anything else, any one of these other matches going on immediately after the the tag match would have felt weird. It would have it would have felt like a weird come down. This one felt right. Okay. But, uh, so again, this is another match you have to watch. Um, so don't just watch one match from this. Watch them all. I mean, I guess if you have to skip some matches, you can skip the the women's matches, unfortunately. Ooh. Ooh, that's usually JLB's job to say something like that. Well, unfortunately, I just from a standpoint, in this, in this pay-per-view, the women's matches were subpar for the matches. Again... They're still good matches, but compared to the other ones, like if you were grading these matches on the pay-per-view, like right now I'm looking at CBS Sports grading and the women's matches got the worst grades of the night, C pluses. Um, that uh, Those were the worst grades. You have uh, AW, uh, Omega versus Hangman Page, A. Uh, Orange Cassidy versus John Silver, A. Uh, Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allen, B plus. Um, FTR versus Young Bucks, A. Uh, Elite Deletion, B minus. You know, and, and these other matches coming up, you know, we'll get to. But uh, in the end, if you have to skip matches, I'm still saying don't watch all of the matches. Watch this from beginning to end if you can. But if you have to, 
those two women's matches are are two places that you can skip for now. Go back and watch them later. But for now, you can skip and you can save yourself, I don't know, half an hour of watching. I feel like you need to watch a Michael Jordan Mia Hamm commercial from the late 90s. <laughs> you remember that commercial? Anything I you can do, I can do better? Yeah. I remember them. <laughs> I'm still not sure why he has to watch them, though. <laughs> yeah. In the end... Um, the man I'm did it try- better? I, I, I'm trying to say, say this as clear. Well... In the end, neither of the women's matches on this night were Mia Hamm. No. Um, no. And, and it's tough to compare. Again, you, you've you said numerous times, put this against an Attitude Era women's match and you take these all day long, all the time. Yep. Um, Heck, put these against a circa 2012 women's match in WWE. I would still take these, you know? You take these put- over AJ Lee, Caitlin? Probably, yeah. I would definitely take these over almost any um, Bella Twins versus, you know, um, I can't even think of another woman's name from that era. Um, Barbie Blank. Barbie Blank, yeah. Um, Kelly Kelly. Kelly Kelly. Yeah. I would take N- Nikki Bella versus Kelly Kelly or Nyla Rose versus Hikarashita. Yes, Hikarashita, Nyla Rose every day, right? But. Uh, Nyla Rose versus Akarashita, um, or Bailey versus Sasha Banks and Hell in a Cell. Mm. That's a hands down <laughs> WWE win right there. Sure. That's what I'm saying. Look, but at the end of the day, it doesn't freaking matter. The women's matches for AEW suck. And honestly, the last women's match that I think of uh, that generally had any kind of storyline buildup that I was somewhat interested in was both with Britt Baker. It was Britt Baker versus Kylie Ray. I feel like I'm messing her name up. Um, and Britt Baker versus Swole. These were the only really two women's matches that kind of had any kind of push, and the rest are just kind of just put together and right. just blah. I think you're meaning Britt Baker versus Chris Statlander. Because um, Britt Baker and Kylie Ray would, would not have been really built too much because Kylie Ray effed off and quit. Um, after yeah. one. Smiley Kylie, right? That's that's who I was talking about. Yeah, but but but, but okay. And granted, that was they a long time ago, dude. There's been way. I mean, Nyla's championship run was was worth watching. Yeah, I, that's it. I I think like that. I think both Da Fave and I take offense to the concept you saying the women's matches sucked. They did not. They 100 percent did not suck. I want Nyla in top top ten women in the world. Okay. Granted, that Nyla match, uh, yes, so Nyla had a few, for sure, but... And Rio's run, the only problem with Rio was that that we didn't get any any character development. The matches were great when Rio was the champion. And that's what I'm referring to, though. I'm referring to that there's no buildup in any of these matches. I'm referring, not necessarily the rest. The wrestling is good, but the problem is the wrestling could only be so good if there's no storyline behind it. There's not really been a storyline since uh, Britt Baker and Swole, and that wasn't even anything. They kind of didn't really do anything with that. And then the whole Nyla Rose towards the beginning, where even then, like, Nyla as a women's champion didn't really have much of a storyline either. She had great matches and so on, but there wasn't anything there to keep me wanting to tune in next week. What's gonna happen with Nyla? Da da da. 
Um, they kind of had the whole Vicky Guerrero thing come in, da, 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 but then they didn't really do much with it. It's just like Nyla was off TV for a bit, and then now Nyla randomly comes back. It's like, what are you doing? I don't care though. I'm not invested. Sorry, Nyla. I know you're part of our Tatnesco, and I love you, but. Um, you know, it's just kind of like they they just drop the ball on the storytelling, which is what motivates me to want to watch the match. And um, I appreciate just a general good wrestling match to begin with. But ultimately, if there's no story behind it, I'm not that invested. And I think it's, I understand the storyline argument. I just, you know, like I said, I take exception when you say they sucked. They did not. I'm, that's what I want to be clear on. They were the worst matches of this show, but this was still a very good show, right? And that's what I want to be. But I agree, and I, I even mentioned it, the Harkarashita one, is that they, even even Tony Khan understands that they haven't given the women enough airtime to establish themselves um, for this, and that, that that match felt rushed because it didn't have any airtime going into it. As bad as Brandy's whole woman's thing was with her with her crew there, uh, which obviously was completely dropped and whatever, that was still something. That's the only thing I could remember, too. They had that to showcase woman on TV sort of ordeal. Although that wasn't all that great, because I remember talking trash about that, too. Wow. Uh, it still was something. There's nothing. They don't get any TV time whatsoever. The only well, TV time they get is, hey, here's a match for the NWA title. Yeah. Hey, here's a, here's a random promo that makes no sense that comes out of nowhere. Hey, I'm going to fight Nyla now. Like, I, I will argue that they did um, take some time away from their single women's when they had the women's tag team tournament that oh, basically yeah. went nowhere. Um, right. And, and I, I'll agree with you on this. They've dropped some storylines that I don't think they needed to. And one of them was even more recently. They had this whole storyline with uh, Allie and Brandy uh, going on through the tag tournament. And then after the tag tournament was over, it just got dropped like a hot rock. And Allie is now back with uh, Butcher and Blade. And they're just kind of, they're just done. They're like, whatever. Um, there, there's at least a little storyline still coming out of it, but not really much. And my biggest complaint is it didn't play out on TV, right? And it I'm sorry, wasn't Britt Baker also supposed to be on Full Gear? Um, no, she Britt Baker is still recovering. Like, she's not 100% yet, or at least hasn't been recently. Mention that she they'll see her at Full Gear or something, like in some kind of promo maybe like three weeks ago? I don't remember it specifically, so I mean, maybe... They did maybe have a promo did. a little while back where she would was going to, and I don't remember what pay-per-view they said it was going to be at, but she was going to be back. Well, no, she was going to be, and she was back. They had the match at All Out, the, um... Oh, okay, I'm just going, right. Um, which was the close of the Big Swole storyline, uh, where she beat Big Swole, uh, no, Big Swole ended up beating her by, uh, numbing her. Nobody. But, um, but in the end... Like, they had the storyline building with Allie and, and Brandy. They were tag partners, and we knew eventually Allie was going to turn on her. And then they just didn't play it out on TV. Just suddenly Allie's back with... And I know the actual reunion happened on Dark, but Allie's back with uh, uh, Butcher and Blade, and 
and Brandy's... There's no payoff. And there wasn't a payoff. Now, they're doing a little bit of a payoff in the fact that on Full Gear, they had a promo where uh, Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall addressed it about how Allie dumped him, QT Marshall, and went back to Butcher and Blade. And so now they're going to, on this week's Dynamite, have a bunkhouse match between Butcher and Blade and QT Marshall and um, Dustin Rhodes. So they're doing a little bit of it, but like that's not the storyline they were telling. The storyline they were telling was Allie and Brandy. Right. And, and so they invested all of this time with this women's tag tournament when you don't have a women's tag division. Right. Um, and that took away time from the women's regular division. But anyways, we went off on a tangent and we're going to come back to the actual show with the next match. MJF versus Chris Jericho. If MJF wins, he gets into the inner circle. Um, but if Jericho wins, MJF does not. Mm-hmm. And he has to go fuck off and do whatever the hell he wants. Um, <laughs> I think this is too soon. <laughs> uh, After the last opportunity he had to be a part of the inner circle, I think it's too soon. Well, but this is his first real opportunity. Like, they've been teasing this for the better part of the year. Do you want me in the inner circle? I don't know. Do you want to be in the inner circle? I don't know. Do you want me to be in the inner circle? He never was offered a part in it. And so they built this up. I get this. Eventually, I'm going to go out on a wild limb right now and say, I I know the storyline they're going to tell with this. And it's going to be eventually MJF tries to take over the inner circle and possibly succeeds because, frankly, Chris Jericho is probably soon going to start winding down his in-ring career a bit. In fact, he's kind of doing it right now because his job now has been turned into build up the stars of the future. And he's done a big deal about it, building up Orange Cassidy, building up Darby Allen, building, you know, um, and I think this is his build up MJF. MJF gets into the inner circle, slowly starts to corrupt it from inside and then takes over the inner circle. Maybe you end up with a battle where you've got uh, uh, Santana and um, MJF and Wardlow on one side and then um, Ortiz, Jake Hager, and Sammy Guevara and Jericho on the other side battling for the future of the inner circle. Um, But I think that's pretty much what it's going to be. Uh, In the end, uh, uh, spoiler alert, I already kind of spoiled MJF wins, so MJF gets to go in the inner circle. But how he wins is was great. Is is <laughs> is pretty good because it's it it flashes back to Eddie Guerrero, which we've seen recently in WWE, um, and it's always good when they do this. So in the end, Wardlow came down and tossed the Dynamite Diamond Ring into MJF, but MJF missed hitting Jericho. While this is happening, Wardlow is distracting the ref, Aubrey Edwards. Uh, MJF tries to hit him, misses. Jericho then calls, and Jake Hager throws Jericho the bat, Floyd. But before Jericho can use the bat, Wardlow stops distracting Aubrey Edwards, and MJF drops to the ground acting like he got hit by the bat. Uh, Aubrey Edwards starts talking to Jericho and and Jericho's pleading like, no, I didn't hit him. I didn't hit him. All this stuff. Um, And then MJF capitalizes on that and hits him with a roll up and gets the win. One, two, three. So 
it's a cheat to win thing, which makes sense because MJF says there's nothing I wouldn't do to get into the inner circle. Yeah, and Jericho just completely respected it because he's like, yeah, I would have done the same thing. Like, yep. You know, so it was kind of cool. It was nice. I, I don't know. I, for some reason, was expecting more. Um, but again, like, in terms of MJF, like, MJF is not a bad wrestler or anything, but I feel like he could only really do good matches with certain people, at least for now. You know, like, I remember that match with him in Jungle Boy was phenomenal. Um, and that's uh, the, and then some of his matches are just whatever. They're decent enough. But the problem is, it's with his character, too, right? Like, you can't really go all crazy. But then when I saw that Jungle Boy MJF match a while ago, I was like, oh, damn, this guy can wrestle. You well, know? I think you might be hitting something a little bit more with this specific match. And I think it comes down to Jericho. Um, Again, like I said, Jericho is hitting that point in his career where I think he understands that his job is no longer to be the top dog anymore. Right. His, his job is to help build the next generation. You know, I mean, he's 50 years old now. In fact, uh, as we are recording this, because we recorded Sunday nights into Monday mornings, uh, we can now officially say happy birthday to Chris Jericho. Hey! Happy birthday! That is uh, actually really weird that I... Yeah, how you just knew that. That's crazy. Stalker. Well, I, I did not just know it. I just looked it up on Wikipedia, but just the fact that we're recording this and I looked it up and I'm suddenly like, oh, November 9th, that is, that is right now. <laughs> yep. Happy birthday! So, happy birthday, goat! Um, but that's my point. He's 50 years old now. He has to know that his... Uh, his career is on on the downward slope now and he's got a different role and i and i think he 100 percent knows it right i don't think i he... think there's been times he's thought it long before now mm -hmm. oh yeah i i don't think this is news to him by any means i think i think he's been thinking it for the last three or four years uh but i think in AEW, he 100 percent knows that this is this is his twilight but this is the time that he cements his legacy because you talk about all the greats Rick Flair's, Bruno Sammartino's, you know, all of them over the years, their real great moments was when they started to pass the torch to the next generation, right? Like, Ric Flair could have retired a long time ago, um, but the reason he didn't for so long was to stick around to do things like help build evolution, you know, uh, help establish Randy Orton, help establish these other younger stars, help establish his own daughter uh, as a star. And I think that's where Jericho understands that he's at. And he's not to Ric Flair level retirement yet, but he does understand that this is where his his role now. But on top of it, he's also 50 years old. He's not Jungle Boy. He can't put on those matches. He's not he's not Lionheart Chris Jericho anymore. Um, his body just can't handle this type of wrestling that he used to do. And I think what you what you're kind of hinting at here with it is that Jericho's current wrestling style uh, it just has to be friendly enough for his body, and that by its very nature doesn't mesh as well with MJF's style. Mm. I think that's what it's coming down to is that Jericho, by the very laws of aging, has to wrestle a different style than he used to. And MJF is a uh, newer style wrestler overall and can put on a great match against a newer style wrestler 
but being forced to work this kind of slower pace, more brawler style that Jericho has to. Um, no, and I'm not saying Jericho still can't do things. Uh, he did a lion salt. He did a uh, top rope Frankensteiner in this match. I mean, he still did some big moves, but he didn't do balls to the wall like uh, Jungle Boy could do anymore. Um, but like, like you said, after the match, Jericho congratulated and welcomed MJF into the inner circle. And, and so that's going to be interesting to see how that storyline goes. I fully expect we'll we'll see whether it's a MJF betrayal or an MJF attempting to take over the inner circle. I could see it going either way, but the one thing I am certain is it's not going to be Happy Camper MJF in the inner circle. That's just not the way it works. But moving on to the main event, AEW World Championship, John Moxley the champion. Eddie Kingston, the challenger, I quit match. Only way this ends is when someone says I quit. But it's not inside a Hell in a Cell because that would be stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I thought this was a great match. Uh, but not, again, not one of my top two of the night. Maybe third, maybe fourth. The Elite Deletion might technically be third for me and this one fourth. I don't know. I'd have to think hard about that. But still a great match. Um, brutal, but not quite as brutal as we've seen from Moxley in the recent past. Like, uh, Omega versus Moxley had uh, a m- net of barbed wire that, that they got suplexed into, things like that. There was none of that in this. There was a barbed wire bat. Um, I'm trying to remember. There, there was a few other things, but nothing super crazy. Uh, super crazy was in this match? Nope. Super crazy was definitely not. I just checked and I was wrong. <laughs> uh, thumbtacks. Thumbtacks were in this match. Um, but that's about it. Uh, I guess rubbing alcohol from the time. That of- was unique. I did like the rubbing alcohol sitch. That was cool. Because mm-hmm. it, it happened right after the thumbtacks. So, you know, it's rubbing alcohol on wounded skin. Yeah. But mm. it. Golly. Yeah. Yeah, that's not that. That just makes your skin kind of go. Ugh, ah, ugh. It's like Joey Janela's feet on the thumbtacks. Just ugh, yeah, ugh. like like your brain knows that that these people. I mean, in the grand scheme of what these people put their bodies through, that this is not the most painful thing they've done. But your brain goes, but but it's it's feet on thumbtacks. Yeah, it's, but I've had this happen. Yeah, I've had and this. I know, I know how bad that is. Yeah. Um, it ended with the, uh, bulldog choke, which is, uh, just a, a headlock twerked back a bit, um, where Moxley, uh, uh, used a piece of barbed wire to help him on it, and Eddie Kingston said, I quit. So, I guess that's, that's the, the end of that, I guess. Wait, wait, wait um, an I quit match that, that... Ended with an actual ended I quit. With an I quit. Yeah. Yep. And check this out. I love the fact that they put a little um, jab at at um, at WWE. They're like, well, you can't knock him out because if you knock him out, he effectively wouldn't be able to say I quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> 
Um, I will also bring up there. There's some interesting long-term storytelling happening after this match. Um, so earlier on in the night in the tag team match, at the end of it, you had uh, the uh, Young Bucks celebrating in the wing in the ring and uh, in, the wing. Uh, in the wing celebrating in the wing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I find that. Bill so Maher would be so proud of this show. Uh, All of our that, political incorrectness. Celebrating in the wing. Celebrating. And uh, Kenny Omega comes out to be with them, celebrating with them, and help his uh, friend uh, Matt Jackson up, who's injured, and, and everything. But. They, they were very subtle about this because from the far angle camera, the hard cam, you could see someone standing in the entrance ramp, but he didn't come to the ring and they didn't even mention it on commentary. So it was very subtle, but it, it, you could tell it was very likely Hangman Page standing in the entrance way. Um, but of course, Omega beat him earlier in the night and he's been kicked out of the elite. He's not part of the group anymore and all of this stuff. So then it comes to this one. At the end of this match, after Eddie Kingston quit, uh, you've got Mox standing in the ring celebrating his win. He's got the the belt and he's holding it up. And um, Kenny Omega comes out onto the ramp and there's a kind of a stare off on it. And, and the reason I bring up long-term storytelling is remember almost a year ago at the first Full Gear was the- yeah, Lights up match was the lights out match Kenny Omega versus John Moxley. Uh, of course, John Moxley wasn't champion yet at the time. Kenny Omega wasn't. Uh, this was before the, the Hangman Page tag team storyline or all of that stuff. But at the end of the match, this was the crazy one with the barbed wire like we talked about. Um, at the end of the match, uh, Moxley was the winner. Uh, and then it came out that Kenny Omega was not cleared to wrestle, right? Kenny Omega's pinned tweet for the last almost year since November 10th of last year. So just two days shy of a year ago. His pinned tweet on Twitter was, I lost and the doctors won't clear me for TV. The problem is you left me alive and I'll be back. I win. And a year later, they've got it set up for it'll now be a championship match. And I can't say for 100% that they had that planned out to be a year-long storyline or not, but I think that's fucking cool. Yeah, that's, uh, they probably didn't plan it that way. I mean, they could have, but uh, either way, they made it so that it made it look that way. So that's pretty spot on. That's cool. That's some good estimates. I suggest they do a lot of making it look that way. If it's by accident that they do that that well, then they should have owned a wrestling company a long time ago. Here's the deal. Oh, like, I don't necessarily 100% think they planned for it to be a year-long storyline. Um, in fact, I'm betting it was planned to be at All Out this year. But COVID came along and they decided to punt this till later in the year. Or maybe it was supposed to be or earlier. Maybe it was supposed to be at at, at double or nothing or or something. But I, I bet you they put it back. But the fact that they left that up as his pin tweet for a full year, uh, knowing that they would come back to this at some point, 
still means that it was always on the plan. They just took a detour at some point. Um, cause it 100%, you know, they, they knew they were building up to, to a few down the road, but at the same point, like I think to myself, if you were booking, uh, a company, a wrestling company, and you had John Moxley just come in, uh, red hot, uh, from a stint with the, your biggest competitor, the biggest in the world. Um, and he's absolutely red hot. And you've got one of your stars that you feel is the best bout machine, the best wrestler in the world. Your goal is to eventually have them face each other for the belt, right? You'd be dumb if that wasn't on your plans. So, but at the time, they couldn't do it right away because Jericho was the champion. They they didn't want to hotshot the belt around too much right off the bat. I get it. And hindsight it was the best move jericho is the champion for as long as he was was a great move right um so so i can't help but think that this was their plan it just probably took longer than they originally planned it to be yeah i would agree with that uh but it's really cool how it now turned out to be basically a year nearly to the day um and now i mean i don't know God, you can't hold off that battle all the way till February, can you? Um, well, yeah, that's definitely what's going to happen for sure, because that is pay-per-view worthy matchup right there. Uh, man, I just can't. I I don't think you can stretch this out for three months. Really? I do. I just don't. Yeah, I... yeah I'm sorry, but uh, Macho Man Hulk Hogan was stretched out for three years, so. Yeah, maybe. I just don't know. I I think this is some now. Tony Khan has said that he plans on having more of those um, pay-per-view level dynamite special events that they had, like the Fighter Fest and, and Fight for the Fallen um, and Bash at the Beach, although they, they can't call it Bash at the Beach anymore, apparently. Uh, so I think it ends up happening at one of those. I think it I think it's the the match and maybe it's not the the final match. I think we have a match uh, between these two on a dynamite on a week that they want to really put a nail in the coffin of the NXT. Mm, I can see that. That this is one of those things where they're like, we yeah. we want to really drive this this one home versus NXT. Oh, oh, oh Adam Cole versus uh, Adam Cole versus Finn Balor tonight. Okay, we got Mox Omega. Mm-hmm. Pretty much something that they can pull out for that, but. Because, because don't get me wrong, like long-term booking, I'm all for it. Um, this is a feud that doesn't have to be settled in one match. <coughs> this is this is 100% a feud that could have three matches before you have the 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 victor because of things like time limit draws um, or you know no competes or you know the referee calls it because of too much blood, you know things like that. Uh, and then leading up to a match that's that says you know this is a this is a match in a steel cage that one person has to be the winner at the end sort of a thing. So, mm. anyways, um, but this this match here, I want to say it was like 19 minutes long, something like that. Uh, yep, yeah, almost 19 minutes exactly. So, and it was brutal, uh, but it wasn't as brutal as some of their previous matches. Um, uh, you know, Eddie Kingston looked like a champ during it, um, but in the end, actually said I quit, which 
helps uh, kind of remove this whole I never quit, I never tapped out gimmick from him. But, um, but that's how I, it I, went off the air. I'm, I'm glad that they had an I, I quit and an I quit match. Mm-hmm. Yep. I know that, that you don't want to hear your wrestler say, I quit, I quit, I quit, but that might be a first time ever. I don't know if WWE's ever had an I quit match and with a real I quit. Um, well, I'm sure they have, but... Well, I mean, where there wasn't, like, you're beating the crap out of my injured brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's the deal, is it, it's like, for someone to quit because the, of their own pain versus for someone to quit because, oh, you're beating up my brother. That Those are two different things altogether. Yeah. yeah. And theoretically, anytime somebody submits, they quit, but... Mm-hmm. There is something to be said for forcing somebody to say the words I quit versus tapping out. Like, okay, this is too much. <laughs> I'll get another shot. I quit kind of says you're better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like I give when your brother's noogieing you or whatever. You know, I don't know if that dates me. The word noogie. Yeah, kind of dates you. Uncle. <laughs> yeah, say an uncle. Uncle to your brother. Uncle. Uncle, it's it's worse than just saying stop. I give, you know, saying uncle hurt your soul. <laughs> yeah, y'all. Anyway. But anyways, this so is that... a long review. It was a long pay per view, so let's. Yeah. But in the end, like I said, this was a great pay per view. It was potentially AEW's best of the year. I'm just gonna have to go back and kind of kind of look at the previous ones to. To decide, it was it was definitely I I seem to remember all out. I was a little bit nonplussed on in the end, so I think it was definitely better than that. But whether it was the best one of the year, I'll have to check. Um, but it was definitely up there. It was a great pay per view. I was happy to watch the entire time. So, uh, so a from me as a whole. Um, you know, there were a couple matches that were a little bit lower, but I I still love this pay per view. So if you haven't watched it. And you like good wrestling, watch this pay-per-view. Um, there are maybe a few matches that you can skip if you want to, but definitely watch the tag team match. Definitely watch the Omega Page match. Definitely watch the I Quit match. Definitely watch the Elite Deletion match. Um, you, you know, to be perfectly honest, you can maybe skip the MJF versus uh, Jericho match. Uh, yeah, I understand it, though. Uh, sadly, definitely watch the Orange Cassidy versus John Silver. I love that match. Um, but but a great pay-per-view all in all. I think JLB will agree overall that it was a great pay-per-view. Whether it was his favorite or not, I don't know. We did disagree on match of the night, but that's not unexpected. We often disagree on match of the night. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, yeah, I don't know about best pay-per-view, um, but certainly definitely top I feel like giving it a again I'm going to do what you did because we're only basing it off four so uh, yeah but yeah uh, really good pay-per-view though entertaining from top to bottom really loved that Matt Hardy matchup curious to see what they are going to do for that Um, and if Helms is going to be an ongoing actual character is Helms actually all elite was it just for um, the deletion concept or even Gangrel, I doubt get they'll sign Gangrel, but Gangrel looked still pretty good, so I was really uh, pleasantly uh, surprised to see him there. 
That was cool. Well, yeah, he he continues to wrestle on the indies, so he, he definitely keeps himself um, in at least relatively decent shape. But uh, but yeah, no, it was fun. I I suspect he was a one off, if only because that's just playing into uh, Matt Hardy's uh, time in the New Brood uh, back in the day, and so playing off of that. Um, I. But why was Helms there? Well, there was um, a storyline years ago in WWE where Matt Hardy had to rescue Shane Helms or Hurricane Helms. Um, I think it was just a one-off sort of a thing because they made a joke about it on this where uh, Hurricane was like, well, you're supposed to rescue me. And he's like, well, things came up or something like that. Um, but I, the only thing I could see, I know... Uh, Helms was working backstage at WWE, but was one of the people let go in the COVID releases. So he's available for it. But at the same point, I don't know if he he wants a full time right now. I'm not sure because uh, I know he's got a podcast. I think that he does. So maybe he's just down with that. I don't know. It, 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 I, he'd be someone handy backstage. He's got a wealth of knowledge. Um, I don't know how much he would be doing for regular wrestling, but he could definitely help a lot of the young people out long term. So that would be interesting to see. Um, I'm just looking at cage matches uh, ratings uh, here. Uh, AW Full Year 2021, they gave a 9.1. This is user ratings. Um, So that's out of 140 ratings. So that's a good rating there. Uh, Going back to All Out. 5.92 5.92 so and that's what i thought i remembered i was a little disappointed with that um double or nothing 8.39 so currently uh, all um full gear is number one for the year from that and revolution uh 8.52 so current ratings for aew this year of their pay-per-views it is the highest rating however um it does have the lowest number of ratings so those numbers might even out a bit as more people rate um it is rated higher than full gear last year which i loved full gear last year Hmm. rated higher than all out last year which i also loved uh and just rated slightly higher than double or nothing last year which was really their kickoff um show so as of right now uh, so this means take these ratings with a slight grain of salt because as of right now according to cage match the users on cage match have it rated as the best aew pay-per-view yet of all time and i'm not ready to say that um Double or Nothing just had, Double or Nothing had like surprise moments that this didn't have, you know. And I know they're not always going to be able to pull off John Moxley appearing, um, sort of a thing. But this was a great pay per view. I don't know if it was the best of of all of their papers. But let us know what you think. You can always hit us up with your opinions on these. You can find me on Twitter at Raw and Order WBU. You can find DA Fabe at DA Vincent K Fabe. You can find JLB at 
JLB420 Real Talk Radio is the brand at Real Talk Radio 8 anchor.fm slash rtr and um, realtalkradio.online you know still not updated but still there so um, yeah that's that's pretty much it but so make sure to like share and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use share it on your social media so other people know uh, how great we are or how mediocre we are if you want to call it that that's fine Um, and subscribe so you get notified of the new episodes as we post them we also have our Patreon, patreon.com slash rawandorderwbu. You can support us there, um, get access to some sweet perks. You can support us by buying some merch at shop.spreadshirt.com slash rawandorderwbu. Um, but other than that, great episode, great show uh, that we just got to watch. And we will um, talk to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>